What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold-cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety nine each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. This is Ideation Collective. I'm Jess, and on the show today we've got Chris Petrie. He's a former director of the WB show Smallville. He's got a lot of media experience, content marketing expert, and we're excited to have him on the show. Most people start out, they you know, they start wanting to market or they start wanting to create videos or content or all kinds of things without um, you know taking a step back and thinking, well, what do you want it to do? You know, what are your goals, right? Um, and then. You know, even after that, who like who are you? What is your what? Why did you even start doing? This is another episode of our innovation and leadership series, where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Today we've got Chris Petrie. He's a former director of the WB show Smallville. He's got a lot of media experience, content marketing expert, and we're excited to have him on the show. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So um, you've done a few things, been a few places. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us some of the, the highlights from the Chris Petrie career so far? All right. Uh, I guess, um, well, uh, when I left, uh, I used to play hockey when I was a kid. And so I left home early, played hockey, and uh, I tried to use hockey to get into a college to go to film school because I wanted to be a writer. And uh, um, I ended up becoming a bartender instead. And I bartended. And uh, I think, you know, growing up in, uh, in Alberta, in Calgary, Alberta, um, getting into film and television didn't really seem like much of an option. You know, when you talk to school counselors or said you want to work in TV, um, people said you should work in advertising or become a journalist, you know, and you were looking for careers. So I ended up um, going to uh, a multimedia journalism school in Manitoba in a town called Brandon, Manitoba. And uh, I lived with my mom out there, went to journalism school um, where I had like a, you know, got to have like a radio show and we got to do, you know, work on local cable TV and stuff like that. So we learned a lot about technical aspects and it was fantastic. It was called Assiniboine College. Um, great teachers, uh, still very close with those teachers, still very close with Greg Sherris there. Um, talked to the students last year, you know, and just uh, similar to something like this, just to show what um, their teaching there can do, what it can show you uh, in terms of, uh, 
you know, how to use the equipment, um, transitioning into a digital medium, all that kind of stuff. So um, when I left school there, um, I went back to bartending and I put on rock and roll shows back in Calgary and I used everything I learned to, uh, you know, I'd be pouring like a jug of beer and mixing sound while I did rock and roll shows. So I would do multi, multi-task, um, uh, you know, skateboard up and down 17th Avenue and poster my shows with uh, a good friend of mine. Um, and then uh, I decided to go to film school from there. So saved up enough money while uh, doing that, putting on little mini shows and uh, went to Vancouver with a backpack with the same friend. And uh, I went to Cinnaboyne College with her Capilano College, which is now Capilano University in North Vancouver, and took the professional film studies program there where they taught me um, pretty much how the film industry worked on a below the line level. So how you could uh, get into the film industry as like a grip or a sound technician, or all different types of, you know, what it takes to uh, uh, make a movie or a TV show on a technical level. So um, when I left school there, also great teachers, learned a lot, learned a lot about the language like the film industry has. It's, they speak different. So when you walk in, you can actually, you know, what people are talking about when they say, give me that Apple box or something like that. Um, so then I just started, uh, you know, putting out resumes and, um, you know, ate a lot of craft dinner, totally broke, you know, living on couches and, uh, started parking cars and picking up garbage on various TV shows when I was probably around 20 years old, somewhere around there. Took any job I could, volunteered on everything, thought maybe I'd want to be a stunt guy. No idea what I wanted to do. Um, just did everything and anything. Uh, did uh, lighting. I became a lighting technician on like cooking shows and uh, um, was a lighting technician on some indie horror movies. Um, basically just ran around anything I could to be around a movie set. I did it. And, uh, um, and then I became, uh, as a production assistant, I became a member of the Directors Guild of Canada and um, solely became, started going up the chain and I chose being an assistant director as a career. An assistant director, I began as a training assistant director where essentially you're learning how you're following what the assistant director does, but you're, you know, getting a lot of breakfasts, running around, you and, know, gum and coffee for everybody. And are you at Warner Brothers by this point? You know, at that point, I start. I did a show called The Dead Zone, and I think that was on TNT with the, or the USA Network um, with Anthony Michael Hall, or Michael Hall as he was called, awesome guy, great folks there too. Um, and I would bounce around. Uh, I became, um, you'd, you'd, you'd kind of do day calls, it was called, and then like one of my first jobs was on The Dead Zone. And then I went on to, uh, I became full-time on Smallville, Probably, yeah, it was season one, in around season one, right? Uh, had a big famous day as a hand model. That was like my big break, right? But uh, um, now I started becoming um, a production assistant, training assistant director on Smallville in season one. Um, and uh, it was great because most of the cast were all the same age as me, right? So, um, or a little bit younger, a little bit older. And so um, being on that show was pretty awesome. I was on it for 10 years. And so actually, you know, we all kind of grew up together, right? We was all our 20s and into our 30s. Um, great folks. A lot of them are still really good friends of mine. Um, but, you know, I guess the progression, the benefit of being on a show for 10 years was I got to learn from, like, amazing um, directors, amazing cinematographers, um, amazing writers, amazing business people. Um, and, uh, 
you know, as a, as a training assistant director and then I became a third assistant director, you really got to see how the behind the scenes of how the machine works to make a TV show. And so what I would do is I would watch all of that and, you know, making movies and television shows is like, it's not a one person effort. It takes, you know, hundreds of people often. Right. So learned a lot about teamwork and that was kind of why I mentioned playing hockey was I think, you know, my background in sports, um, really helped me uh, assimilate to the team environment that's required when you're putting a hundred people together. Um, so, you know, uh, I would round up friends and we would start writing scripts and we would shoot on the weekends and we started making movies on our own. Um, you know, we had no money. We would just, you know, ask awesome camera houses would give us camera. We would use short ends when we used to do film, which was essentially like garbage that was thrown out that they don't use. And we would, you know, do all of the typical, uh, um, when you talk about books, you know, I read Robert Rodriguez's book on, uh, I'll have to get the name of it, but I remember reading it. It was how he talked about how he made his short film. I think it was Desperado, the first one that he made. Um, I don't think it was Desperado. It was the one before that, but he talked about how he made that. So I would actually read books like that and be like, okay. And I would steal tricks like, you know, his just to, you know, get a movie done. And, uh, so while I was getting gum and coffee, I made one movie with a group of friends. It was called When Jesse Was Born, and it was a short film. Um, and it went out and won some awards. And, uh, um, you know, some of the folks on Smallville uh, uh, started seeing it and recognizing it. And a particular gentleman, James Marshall, um, who ended up becoming uh, one of my best friends and mentors, um, asked me if I wanted to learn how to make a TV show and asked me if I wanted to be his personal assistant. So I kind of shifted over from... Uh, being an assistant director to being um, uh, the assistant to the executive producer and he ran the show up in Canada um, and that was that pretty much changed my whole career I got to you know sit with him in every meeting and how learn. yeah how far into the how many seasons in are you at this that point? was season that was halfway through season five okay right so I was there for about five years um, and in season five um, I started working with James and uh um, and he was excellent. Like he showed me every step of the way. He was a great teacher. You know, he didn't, he didn't just take me on as a personal assistant to, you know, run and do his laundry and stuff. Like he, he, he took me on as like a teacher. Right. And so showed me every step of the way, taught me all the tricks he could. It was pretty awesome to have someone do that. Right. And, uh, um, uh, so I learned quite a bit about, uh, you know, involved with how the story process works, you know, getting to see, I could just be a fly on the wall through the whole process of taking a, the idea of the show from the script, you know, to screen and all the meetings we did with all departments. And I was really young at that time. I think I was like 27 or 28. So to get to see all of that was fantastic. And, uh, he also, you know, um, I, I started, uh, through the DGC, I started getting opportunities to do second unit directing gigs where I would do like inserts, you know, someone picks something up or work with the team. And I was kind of put on a program where I really got to learn how to, um, and I, you know, I wish there was more stuff like this, that it was like an official thing. It was almost like a director's program that, you know, it was like, uh, if you were in school, um, where you really got to see, um, you know, there's, so many amazing directors that I got to like sit and watch. Uh, I know like Glenn winter, he's doing Supergirl and all that now. And he's done the arrow and the flash. And I also got to sit basically beside that guy and just watch him create. Um, so you pick up all kinds of tricks from, uh, you know, all these veterans, there's, uh, you know, directors like Gino Swark and, uh, Greg Beeman. These are like famous, you know, directors that do all kinds of stuff. And uh, as a kid, I got to just sit 
right beside them and watch what they were doing and see how they talked to actors, the way they spoke, um, what they did with cameras and all that stuff and how they led a crew. So if you just watched and you got to learn, you, ideally when you got your opportunity, you didn't squander it, right? So um, it was kind of like a safe bubble that I was put in to, you know, be groomed to direct. And then eventually I started directing full episodes by, um, it was I think season nine, season nine, I started directing full episodes um, after a couple of years of directing second units and doing stunt sequences. And uh, I also became um, an associate producer at that time. Uh, so, um, you know, that's kind of the long version. I went from, you know, picking up the garbage and parking the cars to uh, by season nine, season 10, you know, directing full episodes and uh, um, couldn't have done it without an amazing support network, you know, not just James, but also, um, you know, the folks down in Los Angeles, you know, had a great support group of people there as well. So, um, you know, after Smallville ended, um, around, well, it was, I don't know, it's like five years ago. It's a long time ago when you think about it, maybe even longer. But so when we finished season 10, awesome run. Um, I, my wife and I had a daughter and it was really exhausting, long hours, you know, it was like hundred hours a week sometimes working on that TV show. Um, I took a break and I ended up doing a commercial with James for uh, um, a group called Intellimax Media, which was a publicly traded company at the time. And they're a multimedia online company and uh, produced a commercial for them. And then they asked me to project manage a website. I came in and did that. And um, we had some success turning the company around. And I said, you know, I became CEO of the company. I was voted in with the board and did that for two years. And and then I met uh, the guys from Redline Interactive, digital marketing. And I'd say at Intellimax is where I started transitioning from uh, film and television. I also had a, I made my first feature film in that time. Mm. Um, it was an indie film called Marilyn. Um, it went on, it did won some awards, some fantastic actors, won some awards for performances in it as well. It was a great movie. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure more people have stolen it than rented it, but so I'm sure you can find it on a download somewhere, but didn't make a lot of money, but it uh, was an awesome experience. Um, but that kind of was my last like movie TV show that I made. And I started shifting into um, online digital content. And it actually was that movie that um, where I kind of figured this is what I want to do and what I have to do and what I need to do was, uh, you know, about a couple of years ago when I made a movie like that, you could put it, you know, you could go to Blockbuster and you could rent a DVD, right? And there was a whole film and television in industry that was transitioning online. And, and I kind of, our movie had come out in a time when all that was still up in the air and nobody really knew what was going on. And uh, I kind of, you know, through that process, I learned um, how content online really needs to be properly managed. And to be honest, it's, it was you know, I would have to say it's one of the things I lean on. Um, I do believe in failure, right? And so I've learned probably the most things I've ever learned in my life through failing. And, uh, you know, seeing that that movie not, you know, without a marketing plan, without anything online, without properly getting up and running, I was like, I really got to learn more about this stuff. And so that's what I started doing at Intellimax and started working with companies like Redline to understand more and, you know, read more on inbound and content marketing and understand that stuff. And, uh, um, you know, through personal reasons, I moved back to Calgary, Alberta with my family 
and uh, that's where Redline was located. And I phoned them up, and um, in between there, with everything I'd learned digitally and everything I'd done, you know, producing content and creating content, it, it was a really good fit to line up Redline where I am now, where I head up all the content and inbound and content marketing strategy. So, spent probably the last three, four, five years focusing on, you know, how to get eyeballs on content and how to make engaging content online and combine the right and left brain approach. Um, I guess, you know, you mentioned it earlier, uh, something that was interesting about making uh, film and television with Warner Brothers was, um, and even just independent or feature films, was when I created something in that environment, I learned early on that if I tried to make something that people liked, uh, at the risk of sounding flaky here, if you tried to make something that people would like, it often was crappy and it wasn't very good. Um, so uh, after failing a couple times doing that, like trying to make something that I thought people would think was cool and then I watched it myself, I was like, this is terrible. Um, I started just making stuff that I went with my gut and I had nothing else. And, uh, you know, even sometimes at Smallville, I was like, if I do this and it's bad, I could get fired. But at least, you know, something my boss used to say, James, was it's better to die on your sword and know that you tried, right? So uh, he was really good at that and telling you to go with your gut and that's all you kind of had to go on. And and that worked awesome in that environment. You know, as you could tell, sometimes I would just, if the hair on my arm stood up in a particular scene or something, I was like, okay, that's a keeper, um, you know, because I could feel something. Uh, when I moved into a digital realm, things were very different. Uh, you started getting into things like A-B testing and looking at demographics and analytics and, uh, you have an opportunity to create content and variations and it was a total shift of how you thought um, in terms of creating content online. You still can, you still want to find that happy medium of creating something awesome that still moves you, but also utilize what people are saying and what people are liking and, and all that data. So it's an interesting merge of those two worlds, what we do here at Redline, still try to create, you know, stuff with style, stuff that's moving, stuff that's engaging. At the same time, you know, work in things like optimization and conversions and, and all that stuff because it's marketing, right? And so anyway, that's been probably one of the more interesting things is, you know, merging the right and the left brain when creating content for the internet. Turning marketing more into a science than only an art, huh? Yeah, or finding, you know, trying to find the two, right? Trying to find the merge of the two, I think. That, and that's a lot of what we do. And that's kind of how I think we've had success with nonprofits um, is, you know, you still have a goal and you still need something to happen. You're still asking something of people. You still have a call to action. Um, but it doesn't just have to be, you know, salesy or marketing. You can still move people um, and you can still create moving content, I think. And um, I find for myself, uh, working with nonprofits is probably um, very pleasing for myself. I enjoy it at this point in my life. It's something I uh, really like doing. Um, the more I can do to take what I've learned and take what I've learned from some amazing people in my career and uh, benefit organizations and people, that's what, uh, uh, like I said, at this point in my life, I'm really enjoying doing. So if you can still tell engaging and moving stories while, um, you know, converting any kind of goals that you want, whether it be donations or even just awareness, 
um, for a particular organization or a cause that you know is, is important and people should know about, then I think that's a win if you can do both. Yeah, I mean, it really lines up with modern brain science these days too. I mean, um, certainly, uh, you know, the world of analytics and A-B testing and all the things you can do can help can help so much in advertising. Um, but, uh, you know, with this recent brain science that shows, you know, the previous 50 years that everyone liked to believe we made decisions logically, where now it's being shown that decisions are made in the same part of the limbic system where emotion is generated. Interesting. And, and uh, being able to figure out, you know, track the creation of emotion, right? That intermingling the yeah. two is kind of feels like the, the pinnacle there for modern marketing. Yeah, if it, and like I said, I think if you can do it right, if you don't, it can be just tacky, you know, if, you do, if you're not doing it right, right? And so, again, that comes with, um, I, to be honest, I don't know what is right when I'm doing something. I only know if I'm feeling something. And that's, so that's, like I said, that's my gauge that I go off of, and that's something that uh, it's subjective for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you can... What, what I'm feeling or what I think is emotive or cool or, you know, you know, uh, it's going to be different for you and it could be different for somebody else. So that's where, like I said, you try to, it's really difficult to not get wrapped into, you know, a hundred meetings and a hundred creative meetings. And, um, you know, you have all kinds of demographics and personas when you get into all that stuff and you really make it scientific, um, you know, to target to people. And that's the professional way to go about it. But at the end of the day, when you're creating something that emotion is involved in, um, you really only have your own gut to go off of, right? You can't, it's, you can't bring science into that, right? So it's, it's an interesting merging of the two worlds. But not everything you do is um, based in emotion. You know, sometimes you can have, you know, very clinical or informative, educational types of content. You know, and we do a lot of that all the time is we also find nowadays, especially in buying or um, when people, whether they want to give their money in some aspect, they want to learn about what they're, you know, getting involved in. You know, like you said, reading books or ebooks or infographics or any of that stuff, uh, education and information is also just as valuable. And you're not, you don't want to cloud that with like, uh, you know, something emotive or you know, you can maybe add comedy or something to something like that, but for the most part, it's educational and informative. So just, I guess, it's knowing who you're talking to and what your goals are, right? Sure. And uh, for anybody that might be watching this on YouTube or somewhere else on the internet, if you come to Chris's page on ideationcollective.com, we're going to have links to the different things he's talking about and the the book that he was mentioning earlier and, and some extras. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Um, so Chris, um, one of the things that uh, we were talking a little bit about earlier was this, my theory on, you know, inventing businesses or social entrepreneur things or, or other, you know, innovative art, creativity things that kind of can be boiled down to have something awesome, get people to want it to you and be able to work with the people to get all those things to happen. Yeah. Um, so if we start with have something awesome, I mean, I really feel like that's kind of what we were just covering is something that gets the hair to raise up on your arms and you've got yeah. that internal gauge. Um, for people, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe we've got viewers who are starting a business or running a charity or trying to build something in their own company. If they're trying to hone their own gauge on what will, what will create that kind of resonance in others, do you have, do you have tips or do you have um, influences that you would recommend people 
look into? Do you have ideas on how they can hone their own barometer on what's working? Well, for one, I would start every time, you know, if I'm working with a small business or a big business or anybody, I kind of start with, uh, um, you know, what they're, A, what do they want, right? So I think if you, most people start out, they, you know, they start wanting to market or they start wanting to create videos or content or all kinds of things without, um, you know, taking a step back and thinking, well, what do you want it to do? You know, what are your goals, right? Um, And then, you know, even after that, who, like, who are you? What is your, what, why did you even start doing this? I would start looking at those questions. You should internally have an idea of like what your mission statements are, what your values are, you know, why did you start doing this? Because at the core, so at some point in your life or however you got involved with whatever company you're with, or if it's a smaller business or a nonprofit, you sat down and you got passionate about something. And if you're passionate about it, um, like I said, it's subjective, but that's what, that's where you should start. Right? What are the things that made you passionate about what your um, what your cause is or what you want to do? Um, and I would have to say that if you don't know what those are, then you should probably, or you, you know, just winging it here, then you should probably rethink what you're doing. Yeah, maybe right? that's a yeah. signal to rethink. Yeah, I mean, personally, like you know, if it, um, you know, if it's just a, a money player, you thought, well, hey, this would be make good money. Well, then, okay, think about why you think it would be. If it's about financial, you know, gains, if it's not a complete passionate thing but why do you think that you know what are the things that you know if you're going to devote your time and your life and your energy to this thing you know obviously there's something about it that you believe in and so then you start there and then you can kind of find that story because every company or every initiative has a story that can be told right so you just need to find what your story is and and uh, I think by doing that you figure out what your goals are who you are and why you're doing it you know and then if you're doing this on your own there's, uh, um, you know, if you, and I guess, are we talking more to like smaller business people? Like people, are, you know, no, it could, it could be somebody at a giant business that's trying to yeah. revolutionize their department. Could be, you could be in the military, could Please. be at a nonprofit. So if you're just trying to raise awareness, start, this would where in terms of this marketing. Yeah. Get know, people something. to want it from you. You figured out what yeah, people well, want. Yeah. Well, so I would start with educate yourself. This would be, you know, aside from like diving into the emotive things, like start learning about content marketing and inbound marketing, the things that are happening online that you are experiencing when you um, want to buy a runner, a running shoe, or you want to buy a car and you start and you know, you inherently go to Google and you start researching things and you start um, reading blogs and you start, you know, downloading, um, you know, infographics and giving your email to people and then wonder why you're getting a whole bunch of emails now from these people promoting all different kinds of other blogs. You're like, Hey, that's good. And then all of a sudden someone's phoning you and saying, Hey, I noticed you, uh, are really interested in product A. And you're like, how did that happen? Right. So if you're asking like how that's fantastic, right? So that's amazing that someone just went through that process, start learning about that. That's called inbound and content marketing and start reading about it. And then you can phone us, right. And then you'll know what we're talking <laughs> yeah. about when we're explaining it to you, how this machine works, um, you know, to get generate leads, to generate top of funnel leads and work someone down into, you know, uh, to closing the sale. But so, and in terms of that, there's not so much a, a book, but there's tons of resources online. I mean, obviously if you, you know, uh, I'm, we're certified HubSpot partners. I'm a certified inbound marketer with HubSpot and you can, you know, just go to HubSpot and read all kinds of stuff. You can take their, 
they have some free academy classes. If you want, you can take, you know, the HubSpot Academy. If you take a program like that, you, you know, especially if you, I would recommend it if you're heading up a marketing department at a big company or you're a small business, take the time and take those classes. They, it's not much of your time. Same with Google, you know, start learning about AdWords. Um, uh, it's good for you to understand and read and, you know, look at that stuff so that if you hire an agency, you know what they're talking about, you know, and you know where your hours are going and you know what's happening and what they're doing and you can understand the formula. Um, you should do that if you're heading up your marketing department. You can always just, like, pay someone to do it, but you should understand a little bit about what they're doing so that, you know, when they're talking yeah. to you and telling you where your money's going, you have a good idea. If you're a small business um, and you're doing it yourself, you should absolutely take those classes and learn how to do it because once you – Internet's a big place, man. You just put your website up and you, me, and my grandma will look at it. That's it. you got to get the word out. you got to get it out there and you got to figure out how to do it. And social media is always changing. Um, you know, Google's always changing. Everything's changing, so you got to be involved with it all the time. You got to be yeah. paying attention. No, I, I think I've got probably thirty or forty HubSpot eBooks on my computer right now. That me too. You yeah, know, right. uh, it's funny as you talk about that stuff. Kind of both the subjects you just covered. You know, I think about Craig and Ryan there at Redline, and certainly that's been my experience. You know, Craig would come over to our office and, uh, like, he would really listen to what we were trying to do with the, back when we had the fund, you know, and yeah. like there's so much like talking about us thinking Redline had something awesome. Half of it was that we loved Craig, you know, and then we met yeah. Ryan. He's so nice, you know, and yeah. just like energetic guy, but like Craig, he would come, he would come over and just like take notes for an hour and leave and come back and take notes for another half hour. And it's like the third time he comes back before he's recommending something. He knew what we wanted so much by the time we were ever talking about stuff, you know, and, yeah, that's and a, then he that's came a, in and recommended the HubSpot stuff. And he like he's I can credit my interest in inbound to Redline and to you guys, what you've done over there saying, no, here's like the proof. These aren't marketing ideas like this stuff works and we've got the numbers to prove it. That, you know, that's the one thing that I would say has been amazing shifting over into this you know field into digital marketing has been, uh, um, you know, like I said, in film and television, there are numbers and you can see like if you have sales, you can see like ratings and stuff. Um, you know, and it's great when they're up in the millions, but, um, I will say like, there's a pride in Tate, you know, and when we set out to do an initiative and I give analytics reports and, uh, um, you know, like I said, we, one of our initiatives, you know, I was telling you earlier has gone on and, uh, you know, it was a, a campaign for, you know, uh, a union, the Teamsters here in Canada with local 362 and then with Teamsters Canada, the youth committee to bring mental health awareness um, to make it mandatory in all workplaces, you know, and it started, uh, that would be where we've merged, I think, emotion and where we also used analytics, you know, um, I can walk through how that campaign worked and, you know, we've got case study videos for it, but, um, it was a great success and it's still going right now. And we, you know, uh, we ended up getting our new prime minister was on the video and there's initiatives. Now we ended up getting it right up into government, um, getting onto Parliament Hill in Ottawa here in Canada. And uh, um, now they're, you know, I like to think we had some, you know, the unions and, and everybody that was involved in this had a, had a part in, in um, you know, helping influence this initiative or initiative uh, to make mental health mandatory in the workplace. And they're talking about it now. And politicians are talking about it. And it's, it's been awesome to see that, you know, we've reached, um, you know, God, I think it's the last analytics report close to 5 million people. 
on it, you know, like hundreds of thousands of views, you know, we got up on Upworthy. We had like, it's been a great success, the campaign, right? And tons of emails to politicians and people get involved all over Canada. So it's been, that's been an excellent initiative. And that is merging, um, you know, emotional content um, with, you know, analytics. And every time, you know, we take a look at the analytics every month and we adjust what the campaign's doing, we double down on the things that are working. Can, can, you, give an, can you give us an example of that? Can you give us an example of something that changed? Because like you went with your gut and it went mostly well, but you realized we want to pivot this a little bit here. Are there any of those stories that come to mind? Sure. Well, a really good example is we started out to do, uh, we were going to do a half hour documentary. Right? We were going to do one full piece of, uh, um, you know, one big video. Right. Um, and then we were seeing through uh, other content we were doing with um, that particular union with local 362, that engagement you know, and we also, through our research and study, engagement is much better with shorter video content. There's lots of debates back and forth of, you know, long-form content, but based on what we were seeing with this demographic, we were like, you know, you know, we think this would be better as um, breaking them up into video series, right? Um, so we shifted there and went to, you know, two to three-minute video series and spread them out to extend the content so that the campaign could go, rather than one big push with one video, that we could, you know, spread out the content over eight weeks and make, you know, eight series. Um, and that proved to be, that did really well, right? So, you know, some videos did better than others, but to have that constantly out there and to tackle different, um, um, you know, you could tackle workplace bullying in one episode. You could tackle, um, you know, there was an incident in, in uh, Alberta here where um, uh, a gentleman murdered three of his coworkers, right? And so you could focus more on, that and the effects that that had on, uh, you know, everybody that worked in his industry and, um, and the families involved. And, you know, you could really dive into a whole bunch of different um, topics, yeah, I, right? I watched that one and uh, definitely had that kind of emotional, like, you know, drew you into the story type of effect. Yeah, and, you know, and so, you know, we used that. That was kind of what platformed the initiative. Um, but then, you know, with the groundswell that it started happening, um uh, another thing would be the day of the week. You know, we started like, um, which would be again one thing that, you know, with digital that's fantastic is we don't look at, at everything as like definitive. We kind of look at them as experiments. And we throw a whole bunch of experiments out there, right? So, and then again, this is very different than film and television. Like, you would never take a three million dollar episode of Smallville and just experiment with it. You know what I mean? So, you you it's all very planned out. And here. Um, you can experiment with like an episode, let's experiment what it looks like on Tuesday. Right. And, you know, cause you have so much, you know, you, if you have a constant flow of content, you know, you can say, okay, let's look what it, this looks like uh, launching this thing at Tuesday in the afternoon. Let's look at the next one at like Wednesday and, you know, by like three or four, you can see what's working. Right. Well, and I have a question about that. So, you know, we're big fans of the whole lean startup movement and this idea of, you know, start off with your best guess track it and then figure out whether to double down or, or pivot yes. or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I have tons of entrepreneur friends that can quote that stuff to you where I feel like a lot of people have not been able to close that loop is, um, talk a big game about measuring. Um, but as far as closing the loop and, and like systematically, you know, going out with a hypothesis test track at, and, and have it be a loop, um, for you guys, do you have like, is it a daily thing? Is it a weekly thing that you're looking at the numbers? Like, how do you systemize yeah. the closing the loop there of, instead of talking about tracking, actually doing it? 
So they, well, the one that I'll start with, what can be a lot of, uh, um, what can be a problem there is if your KPIs aren't defined when you start, mm. right? So what do you, if you don't know, that's where, like I said before we start, like, what do you want? Right? So what are you tracking? Right, is if you don't have goals. Yeah, what's the destination? Would, are we just driving are we anywhere? Closing the loop, right? Yeah. So I would. That's why I would say, don't run before you walk. Right. Start figure all that stuff out, because if you tell me this is what I want, you know, then we start doing things and we start analyzing and we will look at it all. We'll look at it daily sometimes, especially in the beginning. We'll look at it weekly, but then really we do the end of the month. We do like systematic, like detailed reports. And then usually we try to say, don't judge the first month. We like to see at least three months, right? To see like, you know, then you can start seeing data clustering, right? And, you know, it's better when you start seeing clusters of things that are working, you know, as opposed to like one-off hits here and there. It's really hard to replicate what happened there. There could be, you know, numerous factors that made one piece of content really resonate with people, right? It could have been the time you posted it. It could have been what it was emotionally about or if it was informative. You know, so when you start seeing things cluster over a period of time, and you say, okay, this is really our demographic. And um, taking away from nonprofits, if you're talking about business, obviously at the end, the big one is sales, right? So you can start seeing what sales are working, but there's a whole bunch of goals that can be in between sales and what's working to get people towards that sale. So, you know, it's a pretty complex machine, but if you identify those goals, you know, along the step, like each step of the way, when you start seeing clustering, that's how you close the loop. And if you have a sales team, you have to have them involved in this. You can't just like give it to the marketing department and say, okay, go. And then why am I not seeing sales? Well, sales has to come back, may have to talk to the marketing team and we have to have open communication. So you can tell us like, hey, you know, what's the feedback? Did we get anything? If you have great customer service as well. Um, we recommend all of that so that we can hear like, you know, someone, we're going to have data that says, okay, they came from this blog or they came from, you know, we have all the analytics to tell you where they came from. But at the end of the day, what is the sale, you know, the sales team's got to say like, Hey, you know, this guy really liked this. We're seeing, you know, um, a lot of sales being converted from this particular segment in HubSpot or, you know, when you start segmenting, and I don't know if I'm talking gibberish, yeah. but like, I get what I'm saying is if you have clear defined goals and then we can look back and say, did we hit this goal? Right. And if we hit the goal, you know, what were we doing that helped us hit the goal? And let's do more of that. If we don't have the goal at the beginning, then we don't know what we're trying to become. Now in between all of that, there's going to be things that are happening. You know, we're, like I said, you might set out to be selling something to 20 year olds or teenagers. And then for some odd reason, senior citizens are buying your product like crazy, right? That's where I would say, you know, you should really look at, you know, this is responding to the senior citizens. And maybe in your heart, you thought you were the new Pepsi, but really you're prune juice. And if prune juice makes you money, why don't you just make a whole bunch yeah. of prune juice? You know what I mean? And it so that's, that, but that has, comes down to your mission statement and who you want to be, right? So if your goal is to make money, I'm sure you'd shift right away and just be, become the biggest prune juice company around, right? If your goal is to, is, you know, philanthropic and you're like, no, man, I don't want to sell to old people. I need these people. Then you'd readjust. So it comes down to like what you're, and I'm not. You know, yeah. Nobody like, to, nobody likes right? old people. I don't know. What you're, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay. But you know, but you know what I mean? So it comes down yeah. to 
open, that's where you close the loop by having communication. You know, you have communication with the decision makers, you have monthly meetings, you, you know, you look at these reports and you talk about them um, so that, you, you know, you can identify the things. If, if you're, I would say to those people that you're talking about that they, they're not closing the loop, are they meeting enough and identifying what those loops are that they want to close, right? So if you met like, you know, every month, you'd have that meeting and you're like, I'm having a hard time closing the loop on this. It's like, well, are you testing that? You know, are you looking for that? Are you, okay, now that I know that you're doing that, then we'll start doing things for that. It's just communication to close that loop. Yeah. You know, for uh, thinking about HubSpot, I think kind of famous example, the the pool guy, Marcus Sheridan out in Virginia, who, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's, you know, obviously has marketing automation with HubSpot. And I, I thought about his story of like, they ended up figuring out that if somebody had viewed more than 27 pages on their website that they would have an 80% closing ratio at a sales That's meeting. And so he started sending people, if somebody inquired about a pool, they started sending them a 30 page document saying, <laughs> what we found is that the meeting will be really successful. If you're able to go through this, uh, let me know once you're done. And he says like, right. if people won't read it, then he doesn't go meet with them because he knows his time is better spent on the people that are willing to read it because he's got an 80% chance of a sale and he just... That's not bad, yeah, fair right? enough. And, yeah. Uh, well, um, thinking about, obviously, uh, you know, at the show where I was talking about child rescue and, and we're super appreciative of, of Redline starting to get involved. Um, when you think about us getting the word out and stuff, um, do you want to talk about kind of what your thoughts were when you when you first talked to us at, Redline, at uh, Child Rescue and and where you see things going there? Yeah, well, like I said, I think you guys have an awesome story, and, you, and it's an amazing cause, right? So I think, uh, um, you know, what I think Child Rescue could benefit from is getting, uh, you know, awareness, more people to know that you exist, right? And uh, to get people involved with, you know, your cause, whether it be through donations or support or sharing on social media. And so my gut is to do create some awesome content for you guys. And, and part of that is like, uh, you know, it's not so much what I do. It's that you guys are doing awesome things and I just have to put a camera in front of you. Right. So that's, you know, that's, what's pretty great about some of the stuff we're doing that I like about my job is doing, you know, interesting things like what you guys are doing that I don't have to actually do that much. I just have to point a camera. At you, right. You know, I'll, we'll edit it. We'll make it look great. We'll put some music to it, but what's amazing is your story, right? So, um, you know, and I'm not writing it, right? Where it's like it's like a documentary. We just cover your guys's amazing story, um, and anybody who's been to your website or seen any of the content that exists right now, you can already get the sense of how awesome it is and what you're doing, right? So that would be my goal: is to do a series that shows everybody um, what is awesome about what you're doing. Right. And do, you know, like an eight episode series similar to what we were talking about that are digestible pieces of content that people can get a really good idea of all of the facets of your organization. Um, you know, the rescues that you're pulling off, you know, where the children are going and the rehab that they're going into. And I think if people see what I've seen that you guys do, they'll be as engaged as I am to want to help. And so then we'll identify what those KPIs are that we have and we'll build a machine that allows people to being, you know, moved, engaged, and educated about your organization, and then ideally be, uh, you know, galvanized to 
you know, whether it be donate or share or help raise awareness. So we'll have a couple goals there and that's what we'll, we'll set forth and do. And then I think we're also putting together a long form documentary as well that I think would be really good. You know, the team that we talked to the other day, um, I think if we pull that off, that'd also be a great feat, right? And have, you have a, have a movie and a web series with a, you know, basically a marketing campaign. Um, ideally, we'll utilize, you know, uh, TechSoup and Google nonprofit, you know, and all that to, to help uh, raise awareness for this and get you guys up and running as, as you should be. Yeah. Actually, that's a, you know, we should give a, a big shout out to Google. For, for any of you guys down here in the States that have a 501c3, if you haven't applied for grants from, non, from, from Google, you totally should. Um, we, they were generous enough to give us $10,000 a month in AdWords, and uh, you should definitely be applying for that. We have big, big thank you to Google on that one. Um, so, Chris, you clearly uh, care about the, the issues and the causes and the things out there today. Um, for the viewers today, when they hear, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, did you guys get every one of the candidates that was basically trying to get elected to run Canada did you get every one of them to talk about it or almost almost all of them to talk about the mental health issue? Yeah, the we asked them all. We got three of them that were running for prime minister, and um, but we didn't get the, the one who was prime minister at the time. So 75% of the top politicians, you know, basically yeah. vying for the U.S. equivalent of president, you got exactly. to talk about your issue. I mean, that that's, you know, this is a now a national conversation in Canada. Um, Absolutely. And our current prime minister is also very passionate about the subject. Um, and, uh, and he was very well-spoken and, and he wasn't prime minister at the time when we interviewed him and, and he's prime minister now. And um, I have full faith that he'll you know, be behind the initiative and, and all of that as he was in participating in our video. Um, so we're actually really lucky to have a champion like our prime minister right now that supports, you know, mental health uh, in all aspects, not just in the workplace, but, um, he sees it. Um, I'm also very passionate about mental health and the, the cause as well, not just in the workplace, but, you know, uh, breaking down stigma, uh, sure. you know, seeing it as a, as a rate, you know, a disease like everybody else would, right? Well, yeah, you think about all the other things, you know, I, <laughs> I've had plenty of broken bones and injuries from my skateboarding and snowboarding days, right? Nobody looked down on me for, for, you know, having those health issues associated with knocking myself around, you know, snowboarding or yeah, it's a, getting it's stabbed. An interesting thing, you know, when people need a, um, a mental health break and they're seen, uh, you know, on vacation in Mexico or something, you know, it's a people, you know, get up in arms about it and they say, well, maybe they actually needed that. You know what I mean? So uh, it's an interesting thing, the, the prejudice towards it, right? That we still have today. So anything I can do to help uh, break that down would yeah. be ideal in my world. Um, certainly there's a lot of people who are working on a cause or an issue that would like to turn it into a national debate. Uh, in, in addition to the stuff we've covered already, is there anything that you would say uh, is like a, a, a principle or something that people can do to give it that edge, to really give it, you know, there's a lot of people who produced a video that they hope has an emotional pull. There's a lot of people that, you know, they're trying to do social and they're trying to do this. Where you guys really bumped up in that whole next tier, is there anything that you haven't covered yet or do you think you pretty much you know, covered what it takes to get to that next level? Um, well, if you have no money, right, which some people don't, um, look into also influencer marketing. 
start studying and reading as much as you can about influencer marketing, right? And, and uh, that's just defining the people and the audiences that, uh, you know, you might make the video, but people might not know who you are. But there might be, you know, people in the demographic that you're going after that have gigantic audiences, right? So befriend those people, you know, become followers of those people, become their fans, um, you know, and make relationships with those people so that some at some point they'll share your content if they are engaged by it, right? So influencer yeah. marketing is a big part of what we do here as well. It's, it's like a catch word to throw out, but that takes, you know, before we launch any campaign, we can put up to two months work in, uh, you know, uh, engaging influencers and creating relationships, right? So it's a big part of uh, um, all kinds of marketing that you would do that is aside from paid, right? Yeah. So, Well, and this kind of gets on to my, my third little su- subject here after make something awesome, get people to want it from you, like actually working with the people to get those first two done. Yeah. You know, knowing you, I'm pretty sure you don't mean try to get them to think you're their friend. I'm pretty sure you mean oh, yeah. actually befriend them, scratch their back yeah, first, no, you, like you have, have a re- well, an authentic connection. By, yeah, well, and I mean, as much as you can, because it's still, ne- it's you know what, it's just modern networking. It's you're networking like you would when you go to, uh, before there was social media, there was, a, everybody called it networking, building a network. And, you, you know, it's not like you guys are going to uh, the football game together, right? You're not like best buds, but you you have like-minded interests. Um, and so if they have an audience, uh, you, you know, most of the people that I follow or network with, uh, you know, through influencer marketing, I'm genuinely like impressed by the things that they're doing. And I'm genuine. They have an audience for a reason. If they've got, you know, like 200, 300,000 people listening to them talk about mental health or, you know, following what they're doing, that, that's because they're likely producing educational or engaging content, right? And people are going to them to listen. So, um, usually I'm digesting it. Right. And I'm a fan. Right. So, um, you know, creating a relationship in some way is it's the same as, you know, you wouldn't just walk up to a professor that you love at a party and be like, hey, read my book. You know what I mean? Like you would, you know, or something like that, you know, or you go up to someone at a book signing and be like, hey, I wrote this manuscript. You know, it's a, there's right ways and wrong ways to network. And it's just different, um, you know, through social media. It's it's a lot of the same concepts. Right. It's just people interacting with people. Well, you know, you say that, um, but like the guest that we just had on Rachel Hofstetter, she, she's got a company called PR school and they talk about how, because it's so easy to just email these people these days or, or reach out to them on Twitter, mm-hmm. how often there are people that come across extremely self-interested. Uh, you know, their first interaction is asking for something and yeah. it just, it just seems simpler to just show up and ask what you want. Uh, without having invested in the relationship, like you said, for weeks or even possibly a couple of months up front. Uh, so well, I think it's, it's important that you bring that up. It's definitely easier. But it, like I said, it's... But if the, it doesn't get the result... Yeah, it's the same. It's the, you know, you know, it's one of those things that like, uh, um, it's almost one of those things you can't really teach people, right? It's like you, you inherently understand what's rude or you don't. Right. So, you know, and, and I understand being excited and want to just like throw something out there. But um, and, you know, at the same time, here's one thing I'll say about all this, though, too, is that there's as much as there's rules, there are no rules. Like I would never tell you not to do it because you could then just send an email to someone and I've gotten them to them and I'll click on it. And I'll read it. Like, you know what? That was really good. And, you know, so, at the, you know, take it with a grain of salt that at the same time with any of this stuff, 
to be honest, there's not really any rules. There's like, you know, it either works for you if it doesn't. Do a bunch of stuff, do everything, and if it works, find your own system in your formula. Read a bunch of books, listen to the PR people, try what they're saying, try what I said, try what you want, and whatever works for you, go with it. Because if, it, if yeah. you send a whole bunch of emails out and, and the right person listens, then great. But if you're wasting your time, don't do it again. Yeah. Well, I like what you said. There's no rules. I mean, if you walk into a, a, a live flowing human interaction, human interaction, and you try to bring with it a bunch of supposed to's, it's never going to pan out. Right. Yeah. But I do, I actually really like your principle of treat it like you met this guy at a party, right? There's a natural yeah. human flow. We can all have a gauge on, does this feel like a natural human flow? You know? And yeah. And, and I mean, that's where it's kind of like be yourself, right? You know, just find your, find what works for you. Because even if you're going about, like if you spend a month just being phony, that probably yeah, won't work either. either. Yeah. Right. So just find what works for you. Sure. And an approach that works for you. Well, um, you know, you've been on these TV shows with hundred or hundreds of people doing stuff. You obviously work with clients and, and coworkers at Redline. Thinking about the people involved in business, involved in inventing things, um, who has really set an example for you either earlier on in your life or earlier in your career on how to treat others? Hmm. Is there anybody that um, pops up right off the bat or not so much? Yeah. Well, right away, you know, what's interesting. I had, a um, when I was playing hockey, I lived with a billet family and, uh, I, the, the family there, uh, they were, their names were Wayne and Ellen Pete and they were, I don't know. They were just wonderful people. When I was younger, I learned a lot about uh, being humble and and uh, learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from Wayne. So I don't know. It's, it, they were like that was just about being people, and I've learned a lot from. Uh, um, I would have to say, when you're in a, a paramilitary environment, you know, like on film and television. I learned a lot from my mentor, James Marshall, on how to, you know, move quickly. Learned a lot from a lot of the first ADs I worked for, um, you know, watching them on how they ran crews. Um, I can, it's hard to pick on one person. Sure. I'd like it's sports and teams. Yeah, great yeah. captains, right? Well, okay, so back to this family that you're staying with. You know, they put you up as the billet. Uh, I thought it was interesting, your word choice, sir, where you chose humility. Um it is kind of a pretty magnetic trait. Huh? Like, is there any examples of it or, or how would you describe maybe the way that they were that's worth emulating? Well, they were just confident people in themselves, but, you know, they were just, I don't know, they were just very happy people and they just seemed wise and, and uh, um, you know, didn't have to get too worked up about anything, but were never too sad about much, you know, and took life kind of as it came. And, uh, um yeah, no, they, they left a mark on me in formative years, right? So try to always think of them whenever I'm, you know, something gets too wound up. Sure. Um, well, thinking about the workplace situation, let, let's talk about when people get wound up. We'll, let's yeah. cover both like when there's a blow up, you know, when things are red hot. And then let's, yeah, yeah. after that, let's talk about like the Cold War. How do, you, how do you defrost a Cold War? But so when people are, when people are losing it, whether it's on set or whether it's, because stuff isn't done for the client at marketing or whatever. Do you have any principles or any things that uh, you feel well, like help help get things back? Here's the one back? thing I'll say. That, yeah, well, you know what? Again, I've made lots of mistakes. 
right? So, like, I've learned, uh, to be honest, uh, I've, a lot of that's trial and error. Like, I've learned by pushing too hard with people. Um, I've learned, you know, coming from film and television, again, it's a paramilitary structure, and then you come into, like, a creative office environment, uh, that, that system doesn't work, right? And I've learned by pushing, you know, employees or coworkers too hard that, okay, that's, you know, I went too far. So, and again, like I said, the, the, the best part of failing that is imperative if you're going to learn from failing is knowing when you're wrong, right? And accepting when you've made mistakes and accepting that and learning how to, whether it's management or working in a team environment, how to, uh, you know, say, okay, that was my bad, you know, and work from there and try to, you know, repair whatever what you did wrong. If it was too aggressive, you know, cause I'm not immune to snapping, right? I'm not, immune, I'm not a perfect person. Right. So if I do it or if I get too wound up or something, you know, bringing it back down and um, trying to I try to always think about like leading in terms of uh, rather than telling people how to do something like either inspiring or showing them what to do. And I wasn't always like that. You know, like I learned in a paramilitary kind of environment, even in sports, where it's like everybody's job. You go do that. I go do this. Me saying please is just kind of like it's irrelevant, right? Let's just all go do it. You know what I mean? It's nice if you do, right? But so I probably learned, you know, taking that on. And maybe when I was younger, it was probably maybe just too assertive because you're young and you're, you know, uh, when I was directing on Smallville, I was way younger than everybody, right? So, you know, everybody was, you know, I'm telling, and they're, they're not just younger, they're more experienced and they've been doing it for years. Now, whether I was, you know, had talent or, people that believed in what I was doing was irrelevant when you're facing, you know, crew members that are, you know, some of them are 20 years older than you and they you got batches of awards, and, you know, and you're, they, they've got to listen to some punk, you know what I mean? So you probably get on a persona that you may, you know, you just, you're young and aggressive maybe to try to uh, make up for that. And so as I've gotten older, I try to not do that as much because I actually don't even like looking in the mirror myself when I like that the next day. Right. Yeah. So, um, carrying yourself as a team, I guess I just try my best to, like I said, I'd rather inspire people and enjoy working with them. And I think I've got a wonderful team now that I really like working with that. Um, I get really excited when I see them come up with their own ideas and I, that's where I, instead of pushing them to do something I want, I try to push them to, um, create on their own or to, um, find their own creativity or to experiment and try new things. And when they do and succeed, that's usually when I'm most proud now, rather than just do what I say or what I do. It's like to see them grow creatively is way more yeah. fulfilling. You know, it makes me think about, um, a book I was, I wish I could remember which book it was. I can tell you I was driving, uh, over Deerfoot trail in Calgary <laughs> when it was on yeah. my, it was an audio. And this guy was saying that, Maybe your staff members aren't resisting you because they don't like you or because they don't like your idea. Maybe it's because you haven't been clear enough. And I thought, oh, geez, Jess, you know, like I'm, I get so, I get hot under the collar when they don't want to do what I tell them or whatever. And, yeah. uh, you know, you think about that boss you were telling that about that mentored you so much. And I mean, what a, what a great thing to be mentored that way, but it sure sounds like somebody who was, I mean, there's total clarity when he's showing you how to do it instead of telling yeah. you and you get to observe what it, what it looks like when it's done right. Yeah, that was, you know, like I said, I was pretty lucky to have someone like that. Right. And so, and it's funny that taking on like how he took me on like that. Um, 
I try to do the same as much as I can. And I guess that's a way of paying back. It's kind of how I learned. I learned by sharing and as much as I can. But at the same time, um, I'm still learning. You know, I'm, I haven't reached a, you know, an age yet where I'm just not learning anymore. You know, it's always learning, especially in this environment. You know, and that's probably why I'm most excited about digital and content marketing is because I'm learning like every day. Right? So uh, don't ever stop learning. <laughs> well, before we close it off here and right on that note, we're always looking for more book recommendations. I know we've, we've talked about a couple already, but any uh, any other books have had a big, big influence on you or books that you think everybody well, trying to create something should be reading? Yeah, and most of the people that, uh, it's funny, anybody if, if they watch this, that they are from Smallville, like the people that uh, mentored me, they, uh, they we all read a book from, called Judith, it was from Judith Weston, and it was uh, Directing Actors. And I would say that it was like, I read that thing, front to back, I don't know how many times, and have so many notes, and I read it more than I read any school book. Um, and uh, like I said, like most people would probably just roll their eyes and laugh from Smallville right now, because we all read it, I think. But it, uh, um, it's a great piece of literature if you ever want to, because there's nothing really out there about actually directing actors. That was one thing, like after all the film school and everything I did with directing, you can learn all about like where to put cameras, you can learn all kinds of things, but nobody really talks to you about like how to, you know, elicit emotion or try to inspire an actor in some fashion to communicate off the page. Right. And, you know, everybody just, and they are professionals and they're doing, you know, their job, but the director's there for a reason. And I found that to be one of the most valuable um, books when I was creating, uh, you know, movies and TV shows to fall back on. I found that a, that was an insanely helpful book. Well, we'll put a, we'll put a link to it here on your page, but All right. well, Hey, really appreciate the time that you gave us today. And thanks for being on the show. All right. Thanks for having me, Jess. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the ideation collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.